On a very special Bet the Process podcast, we will today be talking masters, a lot of masters and a lot more masters. And you're going to see a giddy and get to hear a giddy Rufus talking about the one golfer that he is fading into Bolivia, as Mike Tyson would say. Um, as always, the Bet the Process podcast is brought to you by the Sports Action app. It's the best app for tracking everything gambling and getting the best sports content um, on the web. And so you can get it on the uh, Apple Store and the Google Play Store, and it's free. So there's no reason not to get it. And with that, let's start the process. Welcome to a very special episode of the Inventing Process Podcast, a Master's Edition podcast, um, something that's near and dear to my partner, Rufus Peabody's heart, uh, who's in, where are you? I'm in Cordoba, Argentina. And yes, the Masters is the greatest sporting event of the year. Okay. Before we get into the Masters, I wanted to just do a quick ode to the uh, finished NCAA basketball season. Um, you know, we talked about my Michigan 75 to one ticket, which did not cash. Um, I actually did have a little bit of Villanova um, hedge from the beginning of the final four where they're about minus 110 as sort of a hedge. So I ended up making a little bit of money, but didn't make as much as I could have, obviously, if Michigan have won. Um, I, I told you and I, you know, erroneously texted you that I thought there was a lot of value on Michigan with the point spread. In that game, and I think most analytical models will tell you that there was about two points of value. Um, Villanova obviously ran through that and um, covered easily. Um, you know, three-point shooting variance was not the case. I mean, if you look at the final numbers, it was a huge disparity. But if you watch the actual types of shots both teams were getting, Villanova was getting much better looks, and Michigan was just clanging brick after brick after brick. Do you think that there are times um, when teams are just reaching this next level, especially like in, in the college basketball season where these kids are, you know, like they're really peaking at the end of the season where like analytical models just don't work anymore. And like the market just has a much better feel for these things. And like that the sort of momentum of, of this where, you know, like even if you were able to bet that game, um, a thousand times at that price, um, I still think Villanova would have been the play, you know, in, in hindsight and whatnot. Do you ever come across these situations where you look at something and you're like, fuck, this, this, my model just is not right, or this analytics are just not right because what's going on in the field is, is, you know, th- this is a team that is not, is overplaying what any analytics could say right now. Oh, for sure. All the time. I mean, I, there, there are so many times when I look at something and look at a bet that, I should say there's no right in Israel, but it's hard to identify the signs. I mean, so basically, I speak my process of saying, okay, my model says this. There aren't any injuries that could be throwing this off or anything. There's no obvious flaw. I'm going to stick with it because I know over time, like, I'm going to return X percent. Um, and it could be the time I'm wrong, but if I, if I try to figure that out, I could be also, I mean, there, there could be so many times when I thought the model was wrong and didn't go with it because of some gut feeling and it ended up um, being correct. So it, it's just hard to identify those. So do you, would you have like in that situation, if you were betting college basketball and your model was giving you tremendous value, even though what you were saying, you would have still just bet Michigan. Yeah, I would have stuck to the model there. Got especially it. given that it's a NCAA championship game. So you're going to expect a lot of public money anyway. So I wouldn't think it would be that weird that I'd be showing that much value. And you can't say the model was wrong just because Michigan did like happen to lose by what, 16, 18 points. I mean, yeah. it, 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 that bet didn't win, but at the same time, I mean, you don't know that going into the, going into the game. Yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, I, I, again, yes, absolutely. But it's just interesting because, you know, Villanova was it was a historical run, right? They won every single one of their games by double digits. They covered every single one of their games. I think there's only been a couple of their teams that have done that in the SA tournament. Alan Boston, who we had on, was on Twitter saying that 
Villanova was the top. He said this before the Michigan game. They are the top ranked team that he's ever tracked. Wow, that, so, that's that's something. And that, and this is a year that I thought that there wasn't really a truly elite team, or at least that was the popular perception, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that perception has clearly changed um, after this this game. And even going into the game, I think there was a lot of it. It was interesting because, you know, like you said, there's this public narrative that was was percolating with Villanova, and it just seemed it just seemed so right for Michigan to, you know, play an uglied up game and and either come up with a win or cover. And for the first, you know, 10 minutes of that game, that's what looked like was going to happen. Although you looked up after 10 minutes and Michigan played about as well as they could have and Villanova played about as poorly as they could have. And Michigan was only up by three points and you were like, this is, this is, this could get ugly. So anyways, all right, well, let's, let's finish let's off. Go to the, that let's, go, let's, let's get, let's get some golf. I'm excited. Get into the meat of this, uh, starting off with the masters, um, obviously, Near and dear to your heart. I guess, I guess first off, why is it so near and dear to your heart? Why, why do you care so much about it? And why are you so giddy right now? I, I, love, I love golf. I love playing golf. I love um, analyzing and handicapping golf. And it is just the perfect golf tournament. It's, I, I enjoy watching it. Master Sunday is, is one of the best days I wake up. It's, 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 like, it's like sleeping Saturday night is like when you're a kid going to bed Christmas Eve, right? Sunday, Sunday morning is like Christmas day. You Got have it. the appetizer where the guy's out of contention and you can watch, you can watch the little featured holes and the featured groups. And maybe you have some matchup coming down to like how, you know, some guy who's tied for 40th does, and you can follow that. And then, you know, the, it builds, it's a gradual crescendo until the, the leaders tee off. And it's, I don't know. I just love it. So what do you, you, you bet a fair amount of golf and we're, we're obviously not um, going to get into a lot of the specifics of that, but just what, what did you, what do you think that your approach to golf, like, why is it different than maybe other people in terms of like the way you look at the game or, or whatnot? Like what makes you a very successful golf handicapper? Um, I do it quantitatively. That's all I'm going to get into with that. <laughs> okay. Well, let's go into some specifics of this year then. Uh, yes. you and I have been talking for the last couple of days about the fading bubble Watson strategy. And, yes. um, it's definitely, it, you can see disparities, um, between where he falls in the, um, uh, outrights where he's in the top, say 10 or five players, um, listed as the shortest odds somewhere around 12 to one or something like that. Um, but yet is, um, you know, is, is, is definitely not quite as uh, prominent in the uh, head heads. And, and in other words, like a lot of people are against Bubba Watson. Um, wh- why do you think this is? A lot of, um, why are a lot of people against Bubba Watson or why am I against Bubba Watson? <laughs> well, but assumingly I, both I, are I, true. I, 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 um, the popular narrative is that Bubba Watson is a great pick for for this course he fits the course well he's peaking at the right time he's won two events in the last like five weeks i guess he won riviera which a lot of people think is a course that's very uh correlated to um to augusta national and then he finished top 10 at the uh, wgc mexico um and he won at the match play which is obviously a different format but he, he played quite well and yeah, but, I mean, the, I guess what I'm saying is the narr- the narrative certainly that's is, a narrative right there. Is, oh, oh, and totally. he's won twice at the Masters before. He's right. a two-time champion. He's left-handed. The ma- like it's apparently you know Augusta National is supposed to favor lefties and and being able to fade. He's a lefty can fade the ball. He's a long hitter. You know, he seems like it, he seems like a great pick, right? Yeah, no, I was listening to a bunch of podcasts and reading a bunch of articles, and then I was like, maybe Rufus is wrong. Maybe Bubba Watson is really value here. And now that the markets move so much against him and all these head-to-heads, I need to bet a bunch of Bubba Watson. So uh, give me the case for why this narrative isn't true. Well, first off, we'll we'll first um, address Bubba Watson's skill. And he had a very down year in 2016 by his standards. And um, he just was not the elite player that that he kind of was a year or two before that. And some people say, oh, you know, it's because he was playing with that different ball, which he wasn't comfortable with or something. I mean, I think he had a pink ball. Um, but the thing is this, you know, 
yes, recent four matters a lot, but at the same time, you can't completely throw out everything else. And yes, it's boosted his projections up, but that's put him into like a position now. I think I have him ranked like 18th or 19th um, this tournament, but that's just not elite. Like he's still not, he's not as good tournament in and tournament out as, you know, the guys at the top. Um, and if we, when we look at Augusta specifically, um, yes, he's won twice, but you know, his best finish besides that, I mean, he's played, he's played 10 events. Um, at Augusta. He's played the masters 10 times his best finish outside of first, you know what it is? No. 20th. He's 20th. missed two cuts, 20th, 37, 42nd, 50, and then two missed cuts. Like, but he's high you know, variance. High no. variance, yeah, but he's also just like that. That that just isn't that good. And the thing is, if you look at you know he has two wins recently, but if you look at um, you go back, I think it's um, you have to go back until all the way back to the memorial in May of last year to find the time a time that he was inside of the top ten before um, this little run. So you know, the, uh, in a few tournaments, a guy can get hot, sure, but you know, I, I'm. Uh, you're, I tend to, you're basically the at the end of the day. That, the numbers say you can't throw out everything else, and and, right. and so then, then yes, at the end of the day, you're being good. The, sorry, being good at Augusta National and having a good track record there does matter. But Bubba's track record overall is not that good. It's just that he has two wins, so that there's this perception that his track record is great. Right. So what I think what we're becoming, what at least I feel like this podcast is about, is me taking all your brilliance and trying to distill it into a better argument uh-huh. than you're able to articulate. Essentially, Bubba Watson is overrated right now because small sample size sort of wins in um, the Masters and then recency bias where he, the reality is he's not among these elite players. His performance does not indicate that he's among these elite players. He is certainly a good player, but he does not deserve to be in the Justin Rose Justin Thomas, you know, Jordan Spieth, DJ category right now. Exactly. And, and if you look at Justin Rose's history at Augusta National, he has two seconds, a fifth, an eighth, a 10th, 11th, 14th, 20, 22, 25, 36, and 39. That's the 12 years. That's to me a lot more impressive than having two wins and nothing. Well, actually, what's interesting about that, that what's, what's interesting about that is like, this is the sort of idea that, you know, winning is like the difference between first and second is almost like luck and it's almost small. Right. And it's the, the disproportionate amount of attention you get for winning versus finishing second yep. creates that sort of uh, inefficiency or creates that, that uh, perceived value um, because you won, you won twice and no one, I mean, those numbers that you're throwing out for his other finishes are pretty damning in terms of like, evaluating his overall performance. Um, and so, you know, like thinking about, you know, maybe, you know, fading him to win it all is not necessarily what I'd want to do. But I think you would head to heads. You do, you do think so, so, so also. So there's this, yeah. So Bubba's won a few tournaments recently, but early on in his career and basically up, I mean, for almost all of his career, he's been a guy that had trouble finishing and was very, he was able to post like top tens. And, and as a result, there was good value betting on him to win. Like I had him to win 2012 Masters. That was great. And he's, he's, bragger, not, Jim Furyk, he's not Jim Furyk level, but he's been one of these guys that can't close generally. And so I, I think just because he's closed a few times recently doesn't mean that he's suddenly this, you know, amazing elite golfer. Right. Uh, what else in terms of the, you know, when you look at Bubba and, and a lot of, I don't know if you've seen any of these things where people like basically deconstruct the winners of the last whatever, uh, and they, they look at all the attributes of them and it's this yeah. like horrid thing. And one of the things I heard on a podcast, I, I realized that we got a lot of crap last week because I said our friend Steve Fezzik, and I was saying it in a very sarcastic manner, but I don't yeah. think people realize that I was saying it in a sarcastic manner. It was <laughs> on the podcast that that um, these guys are featured on. They were deconstructing this model, and they were saying that um, the two things are one of the two attributes are made the cut last year and are under forty. Do those mean anything to you, or are those just? I mean, you're you're likely to be better if you made the cut last year than if you. I mean, just because you're the better players tend to make cuts, um, and also players, you know, there's not a lot of great golfers over 40 in general. So 
to me, that means nothing. I mean, I also heard something about how the last 10 winners have had Thursday afternoon and Friday morning tea times. I actually looked at this. Like it means if you not, not looking at the winners, but I was like, well, is there anything to that? Like do players aside from weather stuff, do players that have those late Thursday tea times play better in the weekend overall? Of course there's nothing there. It's just finding it's data mining and finding something and creating a narrative around it. So I I don't look at that at all. And have you heard just looking at who wins doesn't matter. It's a matter like I care about there's, there's, there's 89 guys in the field this year and most years there's more. How, like, why am I going to analyze a tournament based on how one particular player did? So um, I'm, uh, I'm assuming that you haven't heard like one of the most important things, which is that every single winner in the past has had a Thursday and a Friday tea time. Oh my God. Uh, you know, I think there is something to that one. It, There's gotta be. Cause if you know, tea think, up on Friday, you're probably not going to make it. I, I don't think, I don't think Brant Snedeker is a good pick this year either or Brooks Kepka. But so for that reason, so going back to this idea that you were talking about, though, that's a really good that's a really good point is that these analysis where you look at one winner, one golfer of, you know, 100 or 80 or whatever are in the field to do your analysis of what makes you successful. It's the ultimate and like survivor bias and like the dumbest, dumbest, dumbest sort of analysis that you can do. And so if any of you guys are out there listening to some of these people who are selling picks and part of their picks is like this deconstruction of this model that they built. That's not a fucking model. That's just data mining at its worst. And, and these are probably people that don't necessarily have access to good data. And they're like, oh, I can come up with this pattern. I can look at a few things. And here's a pattern. And this sounds really good. Yeah, it makes for good TV. It's like when you and I were on ESPN and we had to come up with this crap to talk about. Uh, back to this they, idea. They, they, they would love those things. Like ESPN would eat that stuff up because it creates because a narrative. It speaks to the, yeah, it speaks to the common sports fan in terms of understanding. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, small field. Does that small mean field. there's some value on betting some of these guys to make the cut? Um, yeah, generally there is. I, th- I think, I don't know how much the markets reacted to that. Um, I know there was at some point this week. I don't not you know, I can't speak to uh, specifics right now, but I mean, I think that the top golfers I have, um, I project them with o- over 90% chance of making the cut. For example, I think Justin Rose, 92.5%. Um, Jordan Speed, 91.7%. Jason Day, 88%. You know, Dustin, 89 So yeah, a lot of the top golfers um, are, are, have really, really, um, are, are very, very likely to make the cut. And yes, it's a small field, 89. You have top 50 plus ties, plus anybody within 10 strokes of the lead that makes the cut. And you have a lot of guys, um, you know, if you look at basically the last, there's 10 guys in the field that have, that may as well not even be playing, right? Just you because know, they're there for that. You have the amateurs, you have like the former winners, Jose Maria Olathabal, Sandy Lyle, guys that are old, like Mike Weir, former champion who, you know, has struggled for many years um, since then. What happened to him? Uh, I don't know. He he contributes to the, the narrative back, that lefties modeled, are good though. It, it I model my backswing after him. That horrible little hitch he has. <laughs> is your golf game uh, suffered to the same extent as his? I mean, my golf game is suffering. Um, it certainly hasn't taken quite as big a plunge as his because it was never even close to being good. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a really high variance twenty handicap, so okay. I'm a really good person to. Uh, I'm I'm great to bet. Like I'm, I'm good at betting against people because I have such a high handicap and a high variance, but um, <laughs> yeah, anyways. <laughs> uh, okay. So, so yeah, I have then, like six, there's, I have a full 64 people that have a greater than 50% chance of making the cut, even though I only have projected like 53 or something players making the cut on average. But um, just cause at the bottom you have guys like, you know, Harry Ellis and Larry Mize who, you know, have a little over 10% chance. Do you think you project the, the cut to be about 53 people? Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly, I think that's, it, it's probably going to be a little higher. Um, my, uh, yeah. But my model comes up with 53. I think I'm a little low on that. It'd be great if Bubba Watson just didn't make the cut. That'd be awesome. I think, Bub, I mean, Bubba Watson's going to make the cut, I think. I mean, if you want his number there, um, that it, I think he has a 78% chance of making the cut. If he doesn't make the cut, I'd be a very happy person. Yeah, I think I think all of us would be because then we'd be right. I like being right. 
Okay, so let's go back to uh, who you then do you think if you know it's not Bubba Watson, who is your favorite to win this thing? My favorite is a guy that might surprise people. It's Justin Rose. Justin Rose has been very good at Augusta National, as I read off his finishes. But he's never he won. Oh my God, he's never won, right? He he's, um, he he has won a major. He won the U.S. Open. Not that that actually plays into this handicapping. He's above average in basically every facet of his game, except more of an average putter. And he is has been playing like. I think he's actually underrated overall. I think his actual skill is better than his scoring average would indicate. Um, he's long, he's accurate, he's good around the green. And people, there's this narrative that putting is extremely important at Augusta. And if you look at the people that win, they putt well, yes. They, or they putted well in the tournament. But it's a very different course in terms of the greens than your typical average PGA Tour course. They're undulating. It's speed matters a ton. Um, experience with the greens is supposed to matter. Um, and being able to get the speed right and be able to make some long two putts is important, but those aren't really the skills that you normally have to, that are especially important in a normal PGA tour event. So while putting is really important, it's previous putting like is not as predictive as one would think based on that. Yeah. It's a little, maybe it's a little bit more predictive than average, but it's not super predictive here. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, that does. So, uh, okay, so Justin Rose is the bet the process favorite. Then let's move, let's move on to someone who uh, obviously is going to get a lot of attention, Tiger Woods. Uh, Jeff, our before, favorite. before we do that, though, we, I think we should say where I have Justin Rose listed in terms of odds because sure. I can but, say that so he's if you the can favorite get X, guy I have. You, but... could get, you could get X on Justin Rose for outrights. You should take it. What is X? Well, it depends on who, you, you know, it, I don't know how much value people are looking for, but I know that I make him 12.3 to one odds to win Justin Rose. So basically if you can get 12 to one and you want to get a gamble, that's, that's not a bad price because it's very hard to get real value, especially on, you know, somewhat favorites in the betting markets. So if you can get a fair price on that, don't you think that's something like if someone in a recreational better just wants to have some fun and some skin on the game? If you're getting 12 to one, you're getting crap odds. There's, there's much better available. Oh, interesting. I think Pinnacle has 15 to one. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know about like the Vegas books either necessarily or um, yeah. Hmm. But I mean, Pinnacle probably takes $125 on that, but still. So that's not, that's not actually a good gauge of the market, but, but I, right. I, I think you can find something better than 12 to one. Remember when? Remember when we had Henrik Stenson to win the British Open at like? I what do was remember that. That was that was that was one of my career highlights. That was the good. I think that was one of my career highlights too. Actually, that's one of my career highlights of being your friend <laughs> because I got uh, Henrik Stenson fall off. Um, so, I don't like Henrik this year though. Yeah, and it's interesting. Like I asked you about that, and your reasoning made sense. So, like, what? Why don't you like Henrik when a lot of people? You know, I was just not listening to. Gill's podcast and he had Brady Cannon on and Henrik Stenson. He was saying that like Henrik Stenson at like 30 to one was value and all this kind of stuff. And obviously you don't agree. No, I don't agree. Normally I love Henrik um, and he's a big runner since he's played. He's, um, you know, he's, he's, he's super accurate. Um, but driving distance matters a ton at Augusta and, and Henrik uses that three wood a ton and does not use it to driver nearly as often. And I guess that makes sense because he's not nearly as, he's not as good with the driver, but um, you know, the fact a lot of his skill comes from being so accurate. Like he can, he can get, he can get his three wood out there, like pretty average distance, like 290 or something like that. Um, while being like ridiculously accurate, like more than almost any player on tour in terms of hitting fairways. Um, but being accurate off the tee is not that important at Augusta National. So a strength of his is kind of neutralized. He's also not, um, he's subpar around the green. And that's something that, you know, I, that's not as big as the fact that he's just, his accuracy is, his accuracy doesn't hurt him, but it's a skill that, that um, contributes a lot to his success. And that's kind of neutralized to an extent. So that's why, that's why I'm, I'm not high on him. Okay. So can we move on to Tiger Woods? I want to know what you think about Tiger. Is this return for real? One of the the one of the free picks I heard on one of these podcasts that we're not going to mention the name of, they said, 
Jordan Spieth over Tiger Woods was their free play from that podcast. What do you think? Jordan of that? Spieth over, over Tiger. Yeah. Uh, it depends on what the odds are. I mean, I, I I think that Spieth is a favorite over Tiger. Right. Um, for sure. I agree. But I, you're you're not laying um even money on that. I think I, I can actually pull this up real quick and see what I have it at. But it's you know, Spieth and Tiger is certainly not even money. Um. Let's see. I'll get the. I get some price. Current Jeopardy pricing music. on it. Okay, here we. Um, no, it's Beef and Tiger. Okay, it looks like current price is something around um, minus one sixty. It looks like current. I mean, you're having to lay a pretty big price. I think. I mean, I make the price minus one forty three. Speed over Tiger, which is not good enough value. I mean, it, it's where the market is. There's no value. That's what. Got it. Okay, but open, Tiger open with a lot of juice too. So, but I think that Tiger. So you asked if Tiger's back. Yes. Um, he is. I, I make him. Um, I I make his chances actually pretty high. Um, there's no value, but I make him twenty-one to one, which to me is a lot higher than I actually th- I thought um, I would make him. And a lot of that's because he hasn't played for a while, and so um, the waiting on these particular uh, on his events this season is going to be higher than it would be. Um, which is which is good for him because he had struggled before, and he right. has played very well this year. I mean, but you're right; he's a big question mark. His variance is pretty high, and that's part of the reason why his odds are are pretty pretty good because there is a lot of variance there. Yeah, I mean, I think the narrative, at least from the mainstream, well, so that again, these podcasts are talking about fading him, and you know, if I were just a casual, so so I'm in a pool this year. I'm in a pool every year where you pick 10 players, period, and you get points basically for um, being in the top 10 each day. Uh, And then on Saturday and Sunday, those points are doubled. You also have to list one person as the winner. And if that person does win, you get bonus points. Um, So when when you think about this game, to win it, really, you have to pick a couple people potentially that are you know, maybe one or two that you're going to intentionally leave out that are the traditional top 10 sort of people. And obviously this, this year, I was wondering would, would Woods be, you know, conventional wisdom top 10 or not. And with that, would he be a guy to leave out? And that's why when, when you and I started exchanging information on the masters, I was surprised at how highly rated you had Woods. But now what's interesting is you're basically saying like, because he didn't play, so if he had played poorly all last year, instead of not playing because of injury, he would have not. He wouldn't be this high. Correct. But the other the other reason he is high too is because he's been long off the tee, but not that accurate off the tee. So his his um, I mean, this season his strokes gained off the tee is negative. It's it's he's been bad there, but he's been very good with his irons. And so, you know, Augusta's a course that favors it favors long hitters, but accuracy is not particularly important and and iron play is important. Um, Justin Rose is a great iron player. Um, Henrik Stenson's a great iron player too, but we already talked about, about him, but yeah. So I think Woods, Woods actually fits the, that profile right now at this, at least at this stage in his return. Is that why you like a guy like uh, Hideki Matsuyama because he's really long off the tee and, and sort of like that, you know, that has some value there. Hideki is just a great player overall, but yes, he's, he's long off the tee, but not particularly accurate. He's a good iron player and his putting, um, he's good around the green, but he's not a great putter. So I think the putting part's overrated. If putting was the most important skill in golf, then Greg Chalmers would be a household name. I don't even know who Greg Chalmers is. Is he related to Mario Chalmers? No, Uh, no, definitely not. Okay. How do you know? Short dude. I think he's in his mid forties at this point. One of them could be adopted. You don't know for sure. Um, Okay, back to then let's so Tiger Woods somewhat back. Um this will be an interesting test, right? Because you know, this is like what where would Tiger have to finish for you to be like, "All oh, right, Tiger is is back. He's now relevant. He's now like if he if he I know it's only one one match, but obviously he hasn't played that much recently. So, if he did, if he doesn't make the cut, are you going to be like, okay, Tiger's kind of done? Or uh, like, how, how much will this sort of sway your perception of Tiger? 
This is one event. It's an event that's important to Tiger, and you know he's been gearing up for it for months, but it's still one event. And so I don't think you can come to any real huge conclusions based on one event. So even-tempered. Period. You're so even-tempered and analytically <laughs> driven and quantitative. Uh, but I'm so like antsy and hyped up right now just because I've been tell. working. This is like ton. Ex- I'm like all everywhere. Not not exactly cool and composed right now, but it's 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 like Christmas Eve right now. So so it's I'm like a little kid. All right, let's talk about some of the narratives that come out of Augusta and, and what your research has found. So you talked about um, you know Bubba being a lefty. Does does Augusta favor lefties? Does does that make Mickelson, um, you know, obviously a, a good a good choice here? Is there value on Mickelson? Um, yeah, I mean, or the perception is that it does favor lefties. You have Bubba that's won it twice. You have Mike Weir that's won it. You have Phil Mickelson that's won it twice. I guess. Um, or did he win it twice? I think he did. Mickelson, yeah, I think so. I'm trying to think of any other prominent left or not prominent or non-prominent lefties that have won, but I think that's that's all I can think of. So yeah, so I think there's a narrative that favors lefties, and there's the narrative that favors guys that can righties that can draw the ball because you do have a lot of holes, dogleg left holes. Like 13 is the one that comes to mind the most. Um, that par five, um, number eight, slight dogleg left. Um, I mean, there's there's a few others, and so and the narrative is also that it's easier to fade the ball than it is to draw it. Although I think most PGA tours actually hit draws, but with a draw, you have the, uh, the possibility of sort of over cooking it and duck hooking it. Um, but that's something that I don't get. My, I don't, I don't factor in handedness or, or ball flight in my models because it's not data. I really have. I, I looked into that for a little while with the shot link stuff, because you can see the height, um, you know, high ball hitters versus low ball hitters. You know, low ball hitters, the you know, probably be better in the wind, that kind of thing. But I will say that course history does matter more at Augusta than it does at most courses. And so that's part part of that could be um that could be factored into that in a way. So it's it's baked into my numbers in a, in an indirect way, I think. Got it. Um in terms of Mickelson, I have him actually projected um just slightly better than Tiger. Actually, right about pretty pretty even with Tiger. Actually, his odds to win are uh, twenty two to one. So actually, slightly worse to win, but but right about right, right around even money in terms of uh, if there's a matchup against the two. So if I if if you could choose between Tiger and Mickelson, even money um, against each other, who would you pick? Um. As I said, like it would be right around even money, so there's no real value there. No, I'm asking you who you'd pick as your passionate golfing fan. I don't think there is a matchup. I'm asking you which one you would pick. I'm not asking Dude, you with, with my pick. analytics or no, just like just make a pick. If you say it's even money, just make a pick. I need a coin. <laughs> I refuse to make a pick. Okay, I'll take Phil. You can have Tiger. And we'll add that to our dinner um, bet that we still have. I don't. I don't like this bet because it, <laughs> there's no edge in it for you. True gamble here. I mean, I have. I have. Ty, I feel actually is about two tenths of the strokes. Two tenths of a stroke better pre-cut, but a little worse post-cut. Don't ask. <laughs> okay. Second narrative: uh, first timers and uh, uh, first timers don't win at Augusta. Uh, so don't bet on a first timer. True I think or Fu- false? Fuzzy Zeller was the last was the only one, right? First time player. Yeah, first first time uh, winner at Augusta. You know, uh, Jordan Spieth came pretty close one year. Um, I think there have been players that have come close. So I think it's the same thing. It's looking at judging first timers based on wins or losses. And yes, there's experience is important at Augusta. It's experience it, it, experience is important at any course. The more you know, more familiar you are with something, the better you know equipped you will be to handle it but and but i do think that evaluating it just based on the fact that no first timers won is is doing the same thing you're doing when looking at patterns for winners it's ignoring um all these other places that are good finishes and and i think actually first timers do not really struggle at augusta um relative to their baseline The, the the here's the here's the big reason first timers haven't won like first timers are probably not um the top players generally. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean that's well, like, who's, who's the analysis, best first timer in the field right now. These analysis um, are, this is why these analysis are just dumb, right? It's like the top. Yeah. 
that the sampling is biased initially to do any of this. And so you're not, you're not choosing from an equal playing field, right? You're choosing like amateurs and things like that. And again, this analysis, like all we can do is come back to this analysis that analyzing who wins is the worst way to do it because, you know, who ends up winning is one golfer. And also there's just some randomness in who is first, second, or third, like, you know, missing a putt by half an inch. Does that really make that person that much better or worse? And th- th- that's why you should analyze that one player versus the other. It's just, it's just, it's kind of silly. Horseshit. I completely, I completely agree. And so, th- I mean, the best debutante this year is Tony Fina, who I actually think is ve- a good, very good value. Um, I, I'm, I'm very high on Fina. He's never and played there before, huh? He's never played there before. Um, Fina, you have um, Xander Schauffele, who's, uh, who won the Tour Championship last year, and you have. So, I mean, those those are basically the only two guys that are even, like, top 50 for me. You got Austin Cook, Dylan Fratelli, Patton Kazir. Patton Kazir, who I'm kind of against. Um, Hao Tong Lee, Shabankar Sharma, that guy. He's uh, he, he got the special exemption, the special invite to the Masters. I love that you know these golfers, and you can never even tell me anyone that's on any college football team. Yeah, that's true. I know all the golfers, but but Sharma's this guy that I think Shar- Sharma's way overrated. He's uh, he he struggled last year, but he's gotten hot the last few months and and oh my won God. some events. I love that we've uncovered you as like this golf savant. I um, love golf. I told you I love golf. I know. Okay, so let's go into some um because we are a betting podcast, somewhat. Uh, let's go into some picks for the for the, the masters. And this some is picks. a very. This is like a very rare thing for Rufus to give out this kind of information. Um, you know, this is an only on bet the process moment. Um, so let's let's talk about first matchups. Um, and by the way, this is also a only at Augusta National, only for the Masters moment too. Just so you know, right, right until the U.S. Open once. Anyways, again. so um, into matchups. Uh, my guess is that you're interested in fading Bubba. Um, is that true? Yes, I yeah. Bubba fades all over the place, and I don't mean Bubba fading the ball at Augusta. I mean, do bet against Bubba. So Fowler against Bubba. There's great value there. I think Pinnacle's minus one twenty six. That line should be over minus one seventy. Um, Jason Day over Bubba. I make that line um, almost minus two ten. Um, I'm, which seems extreme, but it means that Bubba still has still is going to win. You know, win that matchup thirty. Two percent of the time. What do you so, what so. do you make like a Jordan Spieth versus Bubba? Um, I will pull that up for you. I have like a gazillion matchups handicapped. Um, Spieth against Bubba is minus two seventy. Wow. Yeah, that that seems extreme. I know it does, and the market doesn't agree that with me that it's that extreme for sure but um what is that price that like minus 200 or something like that probably would be my guess close to that oh wait sorry i gave you i gave you justin rose against bubba sorry yeah, but it's gonna and be justin about rose the same, right? eh, not as high because justin as i said justin's my fave he is your you fave. Can only, you can only have one fave how about the rest of those guys like mickelson casey and rom i they, they all still have value to, in fading bubba um, yes, there's value against all of them. Spieth, I make minus 250. Yeah, um, Nicholson, Casey, Rom, those are all in the regular rotation. Those are, yeah. Yeah. And then any other places that you see some value? Do you, how about your boy, Tony Fino? Yeah, I, I like him. Uh, even laying a big price, I like him over um, over another long hitter, um, Rafael Cabrera-Beo, um, the Spaniard. Uh, I, I still see value at minus 156 there. That's the pinnacle number. I'd make it like minus 175. Um, Russell Henley against uh, Kiradesh Afi Barnrat, Thai guy. Um, that's minus 143 at pinnacle right now. I think it, it should be um, minus 162. So there's value there. Um, Adam Scott against Mark Leishman. I still like it minus 120. Yeah. There, there's a few picks for you. Now, how about picks to win this puppy? Like, I know we talk about futures being kind of a difficult place to get real value. Um, are you seeing any value still in the betting markets on the, on any of these uh, futures? 
There's there's value depending on where you look. It really depends on on where you're betting though. Um, whether you're in Vegas, if you're out of the country, you know, if you're be able to get access to any of the ex- exchanges like Betfair, which you have to be um, like me out of the country. Um, that's the country being the United States. Um, you're going to see widely widely different different numbers. Um, and because generally it's a one way market, as we've talked about with futures a lot. Although some places do have you know win or or not win bets, two way markets on these for the top guys. But yeah, I, I, there are some guys where I do see some value at least. Um, it particular it, it's some books. First off, before I get into that, I, I want to say that this year is interesting in that there are so many. It, it's a very top heavy field, but there isn't like one dominant guy. You basically have a a whole cluster of guys at the top who are playing very well, and um, I mean I don't think I've had I, I have uh, one two three five six seven eight nine ten thirteen guys with odds better than thirty to one, which is kind of unheard of. Normally, I feel like it's maybe five or six. In normally a normal year, there's a lot more guys in that sort of like you know maybe forty to seventy to one range and basically this year i like after those three guys it's like forty to one sixty to one sixty one sixty six eighty two like there's only yeah there's fewer than thirty guys better than a hundred to one so yeah i mean part of that's a small field but but out of those guys as i said i like i like justin rose um i, I like jason day actually he's a guy that's kind of gone under the radar i think nobody's really talking about him but i make him um fifteen to one and i i think if you can get I mean, I know there's some places that have had like 18 or 19 to one. I'm not sure where it's at now or where it will be at when this podcast is released. Let's see. Um, Ricky Fowler's another one that the odds, I mean, there he was like 18 to one earlier on. Uh, I make him 24 to one and, and somehow that price has moved. I know he, he like it's gotten better. Um, it's tw- I've seen 27 to one was out there at one point. And he's, um, it's kind of interesting to me that, you know, he, he struggled. He was, leading in Houston last week um, in the third round. And and he, I think he got up to minus 13 and he ended up really struggling the rest of the weekend and finishing uh, either seven or eight under um, and like full, like 11 shots back at least of, of, of the winner. And so I don't know if that's an overreaction to that, but I mean, Justin Rose struggled in the weekend too. But the thing is at that point, I feel like once they're out of contention, once you know, you're not going to win at that point, you're kind of working on, um, getting yourself ready for Augusta, right? It, it it becomes more of a, okay, now let's, let's move on. I mean, maybe this is me overanalyzing. Let's see. Um, Matsuyama. I like Matsuyama. Um, I make him 25 to one. Uh, Adam Scott. I make so you him, can get uh, Matsuyama 34 to one. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I'll just 30. give you my odds and then people like I'll, guys where I think there's value. I'll give you my odds and then yeah. you can see sure. if you can find anything. Um, Adam Scott, 40 to one. That's what I make him. I, um, Tony Finau, as I said, I really like him. I make him 60 to 1. I know there are um, some sleepers, maybe, if we want some deep sleepers. I make Webb Simpson 95 to 1. If you can, I don't know if you can get 100 to 1 or better. I know there's some places that have had that. Um, Patrick Henley, 96 to 1. I'm quite high on him, actually, but not too far. Maybe. Um, further down, uh, Kevin Chapel, 111. Daniel Berger, 116. Francesco Molinari. I, I always like this guy. Uh, 131 to one. He's a great, great iron player. Great tee to green. Really accurate off the tee, which actually doesn't help him here. But he's also he's just, I think, a solidly underrated player generally. Um, although he's he's he hasn't been that good the last. Uh, he hasn't. Uh, he hasn't been as good as in previous years, but and even bigger long shot, uh, Brendan Steele at 140 to one. That's what I make him. I think that there's some pretty big numbers out there for him, um, potentially. Yeah, I like it. That's what I got. Um, okay, let's got. move on. Let's move on as a quick DFS uh, segment. Uh, obviously, people playing DFS for the Masters. You got any high level advice for them? I know you're not a DFS player. I'm not a DFS player. I, 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 at one point I tried looking into that, but it's, there's a, it, it's very labor intensive. And I think with DFS, you're a lot of it is looking at, um, is gauging ownership for, for players. Right. Um, 
so you, I mean, if you're in one of these sort of tournament style ones versus cash games, you are, it's about, it's like filling out an NCAA tournament pool, right? You're trying to find a place to, you're trying to be sufficiently different from other entries. And so it isn't necessarily about finding the best value on individual guys. So I can't really um, speak to that. Uh, Jeff, you sent me the, you sent me a list of prices because I can't even, in Argentina, I guess you can't access um, DFS websites. but Based on the prices you sent me, I'm just scanning this, this is not like any like doing any big calculations. Justin Rose seems underpriced to me, um, and guys to me that seem overpriced that I would fade for sure. Um, Thomas Peters, Bubba, Alex Noren. So that's what I got there. I okay. Mean, my, and, my, then, my, yeah. and then finally, you're going to help me fill out my NCAA pool. I mean, sorry, my master's pool. I got to pick 10 guys. All right, and there's no restrictions to it. Um, it's a decent size pool, meaning you know, like you do have to like whatever. And so we're gonna we're gonna figure out who I'm gonna pick here. We're gonna put one ten. entry in. So, so how what what do you what are the is do you only get points if the guy wins? Or no, no, you get points. You get points. Top ten. You get points. You get points each day. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, based on being in the top ten including ties being in the top 10, including ties at the end of each day. Yes. And then you get double, you get the double, you get double on Saturday, double on Sunday, and you have to demarcate an individual that you say is the winner and you get bonus points for them being the winner. And it's, it's top 10, not for that round, but alone, but for cumulatively after that round, is that correct? Yes. For cumulative up to that round. Okay. Um, I mean, I think that. I mean, it's essentially going to be your ratings list, I would assume. Yeah. With yeah. like maybe one, maybe like one or two guys that you'd say, hey, maybe they, you know, like conventional wisdom and we take a shot on them. So, I mean, I think I'm going with Rose, Spieth, Day, DJ, Justin Thomas, Rory. Those are the guys I would say for sure. But if everybody else is going to have them. Right. But then, but then at the, that, then is when I like, will depart right like i'll make a departure on like a tiger or a phil paul casey he'd be a good departure i think he's he's a solid i mean i don't he he's one of these guys that that he gets knocked because he has trouble closing generally although he did win a few weeks back but that's mostly because he came from behind you put casey you put if, if he's got if he's got, if he's in the lead going into the final round he's not going to win it feels like the only way he wins a tournament is if he can if he can be playing without pressure. Do you want to that's, fade that's an Casey or do you want Casey in there? No, I think he's a solid guy. I don't know where, I don't know how many people would pick him. Okay. And then I'm definitely picking Hideki and then maybe Rom. So maybe I'll go. Justin maybe, what about Finau is, is your, is your sort of. Um, As my sleeper. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people are going to be on him. Yeah, maybe I will. But who, who of your top, so your top 10 are Rose, Spieth, Day, DJ, Justin Thomas, Rory, Tiger, Phil, Ricky, and Hideki. Of In no particular ten, order. Of those ten, which would you throw out? Who would I not take? Yeah. Who are you competing against? First off, they're you I, know they're I wouldn't they're, take they're average Joes. They're not like analytics. People. Don't take Tiger and Phil then. I think those are the biggest names. Those are going to be the people, and, and those are sort of lower top ten anyway. So I don't take Tiger, I don't take Phil, and instead I take uh, Paul Casey and Fino. Yeah, I mean that that could. I mean, I'm. You're not going to have the. High, yes, taking Tiger and Phil instead of Casey and Fino would give you a higher projected point total, but, um, but you have to decide how much you want to deviate. That's not my area of expertise. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not like. I'm not good at those tournament type things. Okay. Well, I think that was solid sage advice. All right. Uh, any last words on the Masters? I think we covered a lot. Did we? I feel like I still want to. Um, it's like I have want, so much to say. I want to keep talking. I love talking golf, but believe me, the, pe- the people in this co working space know it. <laughs> They've been hearing a lot about you and your, how much you want to talk about golf. They've been hearing about how much I hate Bubba Watson this week. Yeah, I think everyone, everyone that's been around you has been hearing that because I've been hearing it and I'm not even around you. Yeah, if you take away one thing from this podcast, take away that Bubba Watson 
while a good golfer is overrated for the Masters because of small sample size. As Jeff said. for Bubba to win and this when, Bubba, when Bubba wins, like th this co-working space is on the eighth floor. It's beautiful, by the way, in Cordoba, Argentina. Um, when Bubba wins, do I go head first or feet first <laughs> off of the, like through the window? I hope you don't do either. Actually, the, the, the window opens, so I wouldn't need to crash through it. I would just need to like. On, on Friday afternoon, when Bubba looks like he's not going to make the cut, you and I are just going to open a bottle of champagne, um, like, uh, you know, remotely together. Maybe we'll do it over FaceTime and celebrate Bubba not making the cut and all of the head to head. Why are you saying these things right now? You're, you're going to freaking you're trying to you're trying to jinx things. Well, you're trying to inversely jinx them by saying he's going to win it all and you're going to do no, a just, nosedive look, out of it. Look, you have to prepare yourself for the worst case scenario just so you, Trust that me, way, <laughs> things exceed expectations all the time. Like, I, yeah. That's my, that's my motto in life is under promise, over deliver. So, you know, set low expectations and you'll always meet them. Exactly. Um, that, that, that's my strategy with women. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think that's good for now. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks um, with a guest. Uh, and we'll be probably talking some more baseball because we'll be big into the baseball season at that time. So, And what, what do we think about, um, about NFL draft type thing? When that comes out, I know that we have a, a, a very strong potential guest who has a lot of expertise on analyzing the NFL draft. Well, they, there is betting right now on the, on the NFL draft. So, I mean, maybe we should do that. Yeah, let's do that. You know what I'm talking about, right, Jeff? What's that? You, do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, you're talking about Cade. Yeah. Yeah, of course. We don't have to speak in code about Cade. Uh, we can, we can, we can prove, we can actually like admit we're friends with the decorated legend. professor, legend, you know. Yeah, we'll definitely, let's have him on because the draft is what, end of April? So that'll be good for in, in a couple of weeks and we can talk about that and the analytics that go behind the draft and we'll see who else, maybe we'll get someone else from the NFL that does some drafting and maybe we'll actually do a little bit of a departure from gambling and just talk analytics of the draft. I like that. The pro I mean, the draft is a very process oriented thing. Completely process oriented. All these, the new Wonderlick tests and all that stuff. All the combine metrics. It's, it's yeah. Yeah, exactly. Perfect for us. All right, guys. Okay. Thanks for listening and uh, enjoy masters weekend. Happy masters weekend.